Please rise. Let's, play, let's pray together. We gather in the name of God, God among us, within us, around us, ever present. God who watches over us day and night. God who hopes and heals, forgives and loves. God be with you. Let us pray. Persistent God, I understand I am tarnished in thought, word, and deed. I am self-centered, self-absorbed, turned inward. Bring your mercy sandpaper-like to sand me down, and thus show your grace. Bring your grace soft-like to polish me, and thus reveal light in my life. In your name we pray. Our reading for this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, starting at the second verse. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Howdy. Good morning. I like to uh, begin and end with poems. I'm going to do that. The first poem that I'm going to read is from Rumi. Patience with small details makes perfect a large work, like the universe. What nine months of attention does for an embryo 40 early mornings will do for your gradually growing wholeness. In his great book, The Gift, Lewis Hyde argues that there is an order outside the customary economy in which gifts become possible. He writes about gifts in various ways, but his underlying and consistent point is that a gift is not bound by the same rules as other transactions. And because of its utterly free nature, a gift can make a visit wherever it wishes. Thus, the gift is also tied to the act and the art of making or of creativity, which is by turns tied to the kinds of giving people might do in the act of exchange. Hyde argues that it is becoming increasingly difficult in the context of a free market economy to value the creative arts properly because how exactly do we put a price on the human spirit? To think about gifts, then, is to think about a dimension of human life that transcends the ordinary. If the rules of everyday life are governed by economic theories of exchange value, gifts operate by an entirely different logic. Gifts are free, and there is freedom in the gift. This semester's chapel theme is every good gift. Pastor Scott has asked me to speak today about the relationship between sanding and building and the life of faith. I actually thought instead of giving a homily, I would just bring some chisels up here and just start kind of reworking the, the altar and the lectern. But 
I'll just talk instead. <laughs> Try not to talk too long. The metaphor of faith as a kind of craft that we're both crafting and being crafted is an interesting one. And I'm certainly not the first to have something to say about it. But I want to go ahead and wonder out loud whether what I have to say is primarily about the life of faith or whether it's simply about being human in the quest for a life of authentic meaning and action. The idea that there's a relationship between craft and the soul goes back to Plato and beyond. In the Hebrew Bible, for example, the book of Exodus says that God called Betzalel to oversee the construction of the wilderness tabernacle. Exodus refers to the skill of Betzalel as a craftsman and correlates this skill with the wisdom and understanding given by God. Pope Paul VI echoed this idea in his 1967 encyclical Populorum Progressio, saying that, quote, God gave man intelligence, sensitivity, and the power of thought, tools with which to finish and perfect the work that he began. Every worker is to some extent a creator, be he artist, craftsman, executive, laborer, or farmer, end quote. Now, I will presume that he also meant to include women in this formulation. In any case, here we have a statement by a pope that Martin Luther would have wholeheartedly endorsed. There aren't many of those, probably. <laughs> now, I myself am a woodworker. I do not do this for a living, but I do it as a way to live. My relationship to woodworking is not based on the market value of the things that I make. And this seems important. I don't wish to be over, overly romantic or mystical about making furniture by hand, but for me, woodworking is a way to uncover or to work my way into what it means to be human. When I'm in the shop, I become aware of myself as a participant in the great mystery that is human making. Of course, one way to avoid becoming too mystical about this is to hit your thumb with a hammer <laughs> or to make a costly mistake or simply to recognize that for many manual laborers, such musings are just another luxury of the privileged. The question remains, what makes us human? Our capacity to think, to reason about ourselves and the world? Our ability to use our intelligence for the invention of new forms, technologies and economies and societies? Our capacity for moral deliberation and ethical action? For me, my experience with woodworking tells me that it's all of these. The philosopher Descartes famously said, I think, therefore I am. But I might revise that to say something like, I make, therefore I am thinking, and am human, or something like that. I would also agree with Reagan Sutterfield, who remarked in his book, Farming as a Spiritual Discipline, that if God is love and is at work generating and extending the circle of divine love, and if we are imago dei, then generating new life and extending the circle of our love within creation is what we should be about and seems to mark, better than things like reason or speech, the primary differentiator between human beings and other creatures. So maybe it's both. In the image of God, we are both makers and lovers. And human making is grounded in love, and that love in turn is generative of what it means to be human. This all sounds very heady and abstract. In his book, Becoming Human, 
Jean Vanier explores the relationship between brokenness and healing and concludes that it is in genuine community where, quote, the gift of being human is actualized. Belonging then, as Vanier says, is a school of love where we learn to open up to others and to the world around us where each person, creature, and thing in our world is important and respected. He emphasizes that it is the outward-looking self that is both receptive and responsive, and that becoming human is something that happens primarily through suffering and compassion. If the wood in my shop could speak, it might agree. Saws and planes and chisels inflict a kind of violence to the wood, even as, even as they shape it into something more lovely more delicate and more useful. Some artists understand their work to derive primarily from some external source, an inspiration or intuition that participates in the already given form of a work of art. D.H. Lawrence famously stated about his own writing, not I, not I, but the wind that blows through me. And to give a woodworking example, George Nakashima said that his craft was simply to bring the interior desire of the object into its full manifestation. The woodworker tries to help the tree become what it wants to become. And my father says the tree probably wants to remain a tree. <laughs> but that would ruin the metaphor. Nakashima says, quote, trees have a yearning to live again, perhaps to provide the beauty, strength, and utility to serve humans even to become an object of great artistic worth. There is drama in the opening of a log, to uncover for the first time the beauty in the bowl of a tree hidden for centuries, waiting to be given this second life. Cutting logs entails a great responsibility, for we are dealing with a fallen majesty. There are no formulas, no guidelines, but only experience, instinct, and contact with the divine. To extend the woodworking metaphor, according to Vanier, we are molded, shaped, sanded, and finished into something more adequately embodying the divine love for the world. What the woodworking metaphor suggests is not that there's a point at which we're finished as works, but rather that there's a point at which we are ready to be of use. That, after all, is the point of finishing a table or a chair not that it has then lived into its own destiny, but that it is now embarking on its journey of being a table or a chair with the full affirmation and endorsement of its maker, even if that maker, or perhaps because that maker, is intimately aware of its flaws and its blemishes. To return to Lewis Hyde, he says about the gift that, quote, you work at a task, you work and work, and still it won't come right. Then, when you're not even thinking about it while spading the garden or stepping into the bus, the whole thing pops into your head, the missing grace is bestowed. Once a gift has stirred within us, it is up to us to develop it. The gift will continue to discharge its energy so long as we attend to it in return. That, I would say, sounds an awful lot like the life of faith. We work at it, but the missing grace is bestowed, perhaps when we're least expecting it. Now, just because the gift freely visits me from time to time in the woodshop, 
and just because my faith is grounded in the radical grace of divine love, doesn't mean you're going to get free furniture. <laughs> my time is almost up, but I'll end with a poem. This one from William Stafford called You Reading This, Be Ready. Starting here, what do you want to remember? How sunlight creeps along a shining floor? What scent of old wood hovers? What softened sound from outside fills the air? Will you ever bring a better gift for the world than the breathing respect that you carry wherever you go right now? Are you waiting for time to show you some better thoughts? When you turn around, starting here, lift this new glimpse that you found. Carry into evening all that you want from this day. This interval you spent reading or hearing this, keep it for life. What can anyone give you greater than now, starting here, right in this room, when you turn around? Amen. Let us pray. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and make our lips give voice to your name. Our hearts speak your praise. Turn our ears to listen to the needs of many, to pause in prayer for those we now name. Gather these prayers and provide comfort, healing, and peace. Set free in us the power to see what is broken and move with conviction to repair. Shepherd us into a deeper understanding of the ingenious ways you are blessing us. Shape, mold, and refine us to be your people now and always. Amen. Shaped and formed by the almighty grace of God, go now and bear the love of God to the world. Amen. May God's peace, may God's shalom be among you. And also